The Cincinnati Reds hitting the over is not something they've done a whole lot in my lifetime. That's why it was so surprising. How surprising? Find out on today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds. Thank you so much for joining us here on today's Locked On Reds podcast that is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are your team every single day. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to me talk some Reds with you. My name is Jeff Carr. I've been a host of this podcast for five years now. This is my fifth season. And, um, and Stephen Offenbaker will be along shortly with me as well as our special guest, Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 and 700 WLW as we celebrate the Reds doing a thing that they have not done very often in my fan lifetime, probably very often, if at all, in your fan lifetime, uh, they hit the over. And there are so many good things about this team and so many reasons as to why this team is only just getting started, and we're going to get into that here today. Before we do all of that, I want to let you know today's episode is brought to you by Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper Picks, and you could win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code Locked On. You'll get up to $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Mo Egger. Well, we have cause for celebration. The Reds hit the over. They don't do this very often. In fact, uh, it's only been a few times that I can even remember off the top of my head. But we had to have friend of the show, Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 and 700 WLW on to talk about all of this. Because, Mo, it's been an amazing season. How are you feeling right now that the Reds have won more than 65 and a half games? Uh, I feel a little bit w- richer. Uh yeah, I, I feel I feel uh, I feel good. I feel good. Clinchmas, Clinchmas came very very early in my lifetime. I don't think the Reds have hit the over in August, so it's uh, it's a good day, very good day. This was totally unexpected too, and on a day that they set a very strange record. Not that anybody was really trying to shoot this record down, but the first time that they started all rookies in the top five uh, spots in their lineup since 1909. I think we remember that season very well. But um, the the fact that they were able to do this on a West Coast road trip to begin a West Coast road trip in the middle of what felt like to a lot of different fans, their downswing and what could torpedo the playoff hopes. Just, I I think it cannot be overstated. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I said on my show uh, Monday or Tuesday, uh, does anybody have playoff fever? Because God, two months ago, the, the city was on fire, right? The city yeah. was like on fire because the, the Reds were so hot. Everybody was so excited. And if you would have said, God, you know what? Uh, the Reds are going to play meaningless baseball in September. And people would have yelled at you where they're going to play meaningful baseball in September. And yet it it's felt, I, I, I feel like that, that Chicago series and then the Washington series, uh, those two let a lot of the air out of the balloon when it comes to, to excitement. But God, if, if I would have said we'd go into the, basically the last week of August, the Reds will have hit the over for what that matters, and they're, they're going to be occupying a wild card spot, you would have said, game on, let's do it. And it's felt to me like a lot of folks have kind of dismissed their chances before this uh, West Coast run. They get three straight in uh, Anaheim. 
uh, and they do it starting dudes like Lion Richardson. Uh, <laughs> right. And not and, the best stuff from Andrew Abbott, too. No. And like there's been this onslaught of bad stuff from the, the Jonathan India situation to Hunter Green's debut being a disaster to Nick Lodolo suffering a setback. Uh, Jake Fraley's hurt. There's been this just like avalanche of just rotten news. And yet, you know, look, you, you would have liked to have won that game against Toronto on Saturday, but yet right. they're still kind of hanging in there. They, they kind of remind me of like a, a fighter that's taken a lot of blows and they're, they're staggering and uh, they're a little wobbly, but, but they're still, they haven't been knocked out yet. And I, I think there's something to be excited about that particular fact. And look, they have a chance over the next, uh, what, 10 games or so uh, to really make a dent because they're going to play three straight series against teams that they're neck and neck with. So yes. if you're if you're dismissive of their chances, my money isn't necessarily right now on them making the playoffs, but if you're completely dismissive of their chances, I, I, think, you're, I think you're being a little unfair to the team. Yeah, no, and, and the way that they've been able to play here recently has reminded me of what they were doing in June and early July during that period of time where it felt like nobody could beat them, nobody could touch them. And I, I think that is the key for me because I'm looking at this, and it's only three games. It's not to say that three games means anything in the course of a 162-game season, but the way that they've played here recently, the way that they've been able to kind of absorb some lackluster pitching on the starting rotations part, it's 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 almost as if the initial jolt that they got from Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain coming up and all that other stuff wore off, and now this is them – settling in they struggled a little bit but now they're settling in yeah this is kind of what they are yeah they're they're not as good as we pretended they were back in june and they're not nearly as bad as a lot of people have made them out to be here in august and you know they've they've obviously played a little bit better recently and 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 look i mean I'm I'm to the point where uh, no matter how things unfold here over the next, you know, whatever it is, five weeks, th this season has been a smashing success. And uh, once you put 2023 to bed whenever you have to, I think there's going to be an immense amount of excitement for 2024. And and I, I share the frustrations of inactivity at the deadline and putting a lot on two rookie pitchers or young pitchers, I guess, who are we're coming off injuries. And I, I think there was great folly in that for the purposes of, of winning this year, but the, the trajectory of this franchise is still pointed upward. That was the case in June. It was the case when they were, you know, sort of spinning their tires in early August. And, and I think it's the case now, but yeah, look, this is, this is a better team. It is a pretty good team. They at times can look like a really good team, but the bar to clear to make the postseason isn't you don't have to win 95 games uh, right. because they've watered this thing down so much. Pretty good can get you in. And so, you know, I I firmly believe we're going to enter the last two weeks looking at the standings and figuring that the Reds at least have a uh, have a chance. And what a what a fun departure from what a lot of us thought. And I think symbolically, you know, hitting the over. If you if you had that ticket and I make that wager every year and, and overwhelmingly so I usually lose. Uh, it, it was nice to win this year, but but more than anything, the, the fact that they they hit that just symbolizes progress. Uh, yes, the bar was so low they had to win 66 games to hit the over, and they hit it on August the 23rd with more than a month to go, and that's not all they're playing for, right? It's kind of a footnote, and now you know again they're going to play Arizona, San Francisco, and the Cubs here over the next week and a half. 
you can't ask for for anything more than that. Even if it if it stinks that they're not playing Milwaukee, and even if you feel like you know what, they're just not going to be able to catch the Brewers. You got a chance to make the playoffs, man, and they have a chance to beat the teams that they're competing with and 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 sort of control their own fate. So I'm I'm really excited for what the uh, what the coming weeks might hold. Who is to blame? It's one of our favorite games to play, but in this case, we're going to say who's the blame for the success. We're going to talk about which player deserves the most credit on this team's turnaround. Coming up next. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, and that is Sleeper. Sleeper offers the ability to win up to 100 times your money. If you head to Sleeper, which is the number one sports app on the App Store right now, and you just pick two or more players in their fantasy baseball picks. Uh, This is how it works. You can pick up to eight different players, two or more, but up to eight, and choose uh, your favorite stat categories, whether they be hits, homers, strikeouts, runs, total bases, all that great stuff. All you got to do is pick more or less. They will provide an over under and you just pick more or less. If you get your picks right, you could win big. If you think Joey Votto is going to bang smash more on the homers for him. And if you think Ellie's going to run like he always does smash more on the steals entries can be made in 30 seconds or less. It's that easy. Plus when you want to get your money, they also have safe and fast withdrawals. Also, you can use the promo code locked on. You'll get up to $100 match on your first deposit when you do. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. Before we get back into our conversation with Mo Egger, wanted to remind you, you can catch every pitch of the Reds' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM. Just download the SXM app and search the word Reds. And also, if this is your first time watching or listening, make sure that you're subscribed on your favorite podcasting platform and right here on YouTube. You can click subscribe and click the bell to get notified whenever we have new content for you because we are here every day talking Reds every day because we're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. And let's jump back into our conversation with Mo Egger. Let's play the blame game. Let's, um, let, let's look at this season and who is the most to blame for the success that they've had? Because we'd love to play the blame game whenever they lose. Wow. Who Who is the culprit that has driven all of this? Because, I mean, there's definitely a cast of people in this. There's not just one guy. It's not like they have this overwhelming superstar and it's a bunch of just guys around them. This whole team is filled with dudes rather than guys uh, but who do you look for as like this dude uh, has really been the catalyst of everything you know i i think that's really hard to answer because you know in june the answer was ellie well you know we've we've seen him come crashing back to earth now he obviously had a huge game uh in the first game of the doubleheader yesterday uh, I, you know so he still is probably the answer because this team is where they are because of what they did in June. And he was right. the biggest acquisition in June, but you say that, and you don't want to undercut Matt McLean's importance, Andrew Abbott's importance, you know, in a weird way. And I don't know off the top of my head, the team's record in games that he has pitched in a weird way. I'm going to say Ellie, but mm-hmm. I'm going to add to it. Graham Ashcraft. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, the red starting pitching has not been a strength for most of the season. He was really good in April. He was terrible in May. He goes on the injured list. And meanwhile, Lodolo goes on the injured list. And then eventually Hunter green comes back and, and and he goes on the injured list for like two months. Uh, 
and then Graham comes back and you're kind of going, what are they going to get? Are, are they going to get the guy we saw in April? Sign me up for that. Are they going to get the guy we saw in May? Well, that guy's going to be a disaster. And, you know, whether it's been the revolving door of some of the guys they've had to Brett Kennedy and Lion Richardson or the, the failed Luke Weaver experiment, it, it feels like more often than not, Graham Ashcraft has given the team a chance. Now they've wasted yeah. some starts, right? They've, he had the two where they, they left him in. What was that against Washington? He gives up the two run shot in the eighth. And then uh, the next start uh, they pull him uh, against Cleveland and uh, and the game unfolds the way it did in the eighth inning. I thought one of the 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 one of the the instances this year where you could say David Bell really pressed the wrong button, but I, I, he's given them length, and yes. I, I feel like you know even the other night he gives up the three homers, they retake the lead for him, and you're kind of going, okay, he's got to get through seven. They're playing a doubleheader tomorrow, yet there's no margin for error because it's a tight game. And look, man, they had just lost their previous two. The, the sixth and seventh inning for Graham Ashcraft the other night I thought were absolutely huge. And I, I, I feel like he's given them some reliability in the starting rotation that for most of the season we've been asking for. So I think that the main guy is Ellie because this team is where they are because they were insane in June. You know, if they, right. let's say during those 12 games where they win 12 straight, they go eight and four. Well, look at their record now compared to what it was because they won 12 games. So the main reason why they're there, if you have to make it about one guy, which is not an exercise I love, I'll say Ellie, but I do hope people have developed some sense of appreciation for what Graham Ashcraft has meant for the club since he came back. The ESPN stats and info thing that they said, it was like no player has ever had 10 starts of 10 or more ERA and then 10 starts of a two and a half ERA <laughs> in the same season, let alone right next to each other. And that's yeah. what Graham Ashcraft season has been. He's He's been phenomenal. And I agree with you uh, on the longevity part. And he's even shown a different gear in that uh, Anaheim start or the Angels start that he just had on Tuesday because he's not a strikeout guy. He's not no. known as the guy that's going to get all those strikeouts, and yet he had 10 in that game against a lineup that did include Shohei Otani and Mike Trout for that one day. And I, I really think that we're kind of missing him because we see Andrew Abbott. We're seeing the the – sort of breakout sort of tiny breakout that Brandon Williamson has had here recently. And we just kind of overlook Graham. We're like, ah, yeah, whatever he's here. And, and we're waiting on Hunter green to come back. And then the bad news with Nick Lodolo and all this other stuff. But Graham Ashcraft has been the one uh, just constant force in a rotation that has been in so much turmoil. So I agree with you. I think that he's got to be up there. And I know that um, Ellie has added a dimension to this team that it hasn't had in a long time. Like it's, yeah. it's a dimension that feels like Griffey. It, 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 and I know that's a lot to put on a dude that's 21 and he just started his career, but the, the star power of it, the, you know, whether you are Justin Verlander or whoever you are on an opposing pitcher, you've got to take note of where he is in the lineup and you got to know how to pitch him whenever he steps up to the plate, because the moment you take a pitch off, he's going to kill that thing 450 feet. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. And I think, I think it's easy to sort of get frustrated with, he's not the most disciplined hitter. He's not great against non-fastballs. Uh, at times he does feel like he's easy to pitch, especially when there's nobody on base. He can do some maddeningly dumb things on the base paths. This is what we all agreed we were going to put up with. Right. Yes. When we, when we demanded, when we demanded, they call him up. This is, we all agreed you're going to have to put up with growing pains. So, 
I, it's, I've talked about it on my show, you know, when he's, he got, he got thrown out against Cleveland where he tags up on first runs to second, the right fielder throws him out. Uh, and, and you're like, what are you doing here? You know, right. can, can Colin Calgo grab his belt loop or something? What are we doing? But okay, fine. You just, you just, okay. We're going to have to deal with those things to enjoy the six RBI performances. But in the context of what the Reds were dealing with on Tuesday night, Hunter green pitched on Sunday and it was a disaster. It's the start of a road trip where now everybody's thinking they're going to come back and, you know, with a two and eight record against all those teams, it feels like Milwaukee's starting to pull away. Uh, they got some bad Nick Lodolo news. They're about to play a double header the next day. Oh, and they're going to face Otani, which unfortunately he had to come out of the game early. Uh, you know, you needed seven passable innings and he gave them to him and look, he gave up the homers, but they were solo bombs. I mean, I I thought that started, I put after the game, absolute money start for Graham Ashcraft. Sometimes it's not, do you win or lose the game? You have to sort of take into consideration all the stuff that's sort of circulating. Imagine how it would have felt. Hell, even if they win the game, he goes out there and throws three and a third. Uh, or he stays in the game. They take the lead after the steer hit. And then he, you know, coughs up the lead. They got to pull him and they lose the game for them to win. And for him to do what they did in that win, I, I think frankly, hasn't been talked about. It's only been a day or so, but, but hasn't been talked about enough. Should David Bell win manager of the year? I think it's an overwhelming yes. And so does Mo. We're going to tell you why coming up next. But if you can't be at the ballpark, you can catch every pitch of the Reds' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search the word Reds. And thanks, as always, for making Lockdown Reds your first listen every day. Every day is coming up on the next show. We're going to get you all ready for the Giants series as we look back on the Diamondback series that hopefully is a rousing success as the Reds have a huge opportunity over these next 10 games, really, to make some hay in the wild card race coming up on the next show but now let's jump back into the conversation with mo egger because he agrees with us david bell deserves to be manager of the year i i wonder about this one thing and i i think that awards can be a little bit overblown especially when you're not talking about players but what do you think david bell's chances are of manager of the year and nick crawl's chances of executive of the year which granted I have no idea what the criteria is for executive of the year, but just the way that this team has turned around so quickly, I I almost feel like they're the favorites in both categories. I uh, haven't really fleshed out the Nick Crawl thing in relation to his other peers. The uh, executive of the year award is an MLB award, if I'm not yes. mistaken. It's not a National not League American thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, so there's only one. Uh, right. You know, I I don't I don't know what they're going to do with the Baltimore Orioles, who are such a you know That's awesome true. story. Yeah. Uh, but the David Bell thing, you and I are recording this uh, 2.22 on uh, Thursday on my show this afternoon. I am going to uh, take up the cause to be the campaign manager for David Bell's Manager of the Year candidacy. Uh, and like, you can do this with every manager. You can dive into the weeds of, he put this pitcher in and it didn't work. I, we, I, I did that with David Bell in the Cleveland game when he brought in uh, he brought in Maul Sam instead Maul of Diaz time, and he yeah. gives up the hit. And that was the, the Miami game. Cause Josh Bell took him deep, not Cleveland. Yep. Yep. Uh, like, all right. So that day, God, David use Alexis Diaz. Uh, they had an off day the next day and he's used Alexis Diaz to get five out saves before. So do it. Uh, but on a macro level, 
This guy's managing a team in the thick of a pennant race. The big three has contributed, aside from Graham Ashcraft, very, very little. It's a team that's starting a, a ton of rookies. Uh, first all-rookie infield in, in 100 years. They're pitching Brett Kennedy and Lion Richardson in the heart of a pennant race. <laughs> right. uh, he's lost, you know, Joey Votto's in a slump. And, you know, he's hit a bunch of home runs, but he's no longer Joey Votto. Tyler Stevenson has had a disappointing year, the, the homer in Anaheim notwithstanding. And here they are, and, and it's felt like there have been a lot of attempts to count them out, and, and they're still they're still in the thick of things. And mm -hmm. people talk about the culture and the vibe and you know, how hard these guys play and how much they love playing for each other. The manager doesn't have something to do with that. This bullpen, you know, <laughs> he's had to go to it a lot. Uh, Alexis Diaz is an all-star. He's he's doing pretty damn well with the likes of Ian Jabot and company back there. Yes. <laughs> you know, is he going to win the award? And I haven't sat down and been like, well, what about Troy Lavallo or, or Craig Council? I, but holy hell, if you don't, if you vote on that award and don't take a good hard look at David Bell's candidacy and at least think about giving him your vote, I don't know what you're doing. And yeah. You know, the next time they lose, I'll look at Twitter. David Bell's an idiot. And as soon as they gave him the contract extension, they were going to thrust him into a spotlight that he didn't deserve. I don't know how you could take any issue with the job he's done with this team this year. Now, again, if you're going to say, well, there was a game three Sundays ago where he played uh, Stevenson instead of Maley, or, you know, he brought this guy in instead of this guy, you could do that with every manager in the sport. And, and around the country, we do that with every manager in the sport. Uh, if, if, if every time a manager hits the wrong button, it means they should be fired. The teams aren't going to have managers for more than three or four days. I look at the macro stuff, David Bell, from my standpoint has handled the macro stuff very, very well. Yeah. And I think, uh, and, and Hey, by the way, Steve is here. He's, mm -hmm. he's joining us. Um, and Steve, we're, we're talking about the fact that David Bell deserves, uh, to be manager of the year based on some different things that have happened and kind of what Mo said, you know, some different, you know, not getting a ton of contribution from the big three. It's not like he has the nasty boys to work with in the bullpen. And he's somehow put that all together. I think the big, um, the, the other big thing for it is something you and I talked about quite a lot in spring training was the fact that this team, if everything goes right, this is how they can be good. And everything we listed out didn't happen. The Nicoladolo Hunter green, not, not healthy for most of the year. Tyler Stevenson has been an afterthought. Jonathan India, it's been okay, but he's not been good. Like all of the things that we said had to happen have gone the other way. And yet this team has been better than we thought they could be. No, absolutely. And, and for this team, there's a lot of accolades coming their way in the off season. David Bell manager of the year. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, what he's just, what he's endured to get to this point, the, the guy deserves an award uh, having gone through that season last year. And you've got Nick Craw, who probably will be the executive of the year uh, for all of the trades that he put together and, and how it's played out here on the field. Uh, you know, these guys, these guys came into a very tough situation and did a fantastic job. And, you know, the product on the field reflects that. And it just like, you know, like we talked about yesterday, Jeff, there's just nothing but excitement right now for what uh, this team is, for, for how it's been built, for how it's performing. And David Bell, as you know, I've said this many times, is the right manager in the right place at the right time for these guys. You know, he, he's the guy, the calming presence that these young players need to, to reach their peak performance at such an early age. 
you know, and 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 folks, uh, Jonathan India has had some things to say about the way his his injury was handled, right? And so people love to sort of get behind that and tee off on the the medical staff. Uh, here's what I would be willing to bet. Let's just say, obviously they've they've given him an extreme vote of confidence, but let's just say. The dude who doesn't believe in David Bell believes uh, if they fall apart here, uh, David Bell should be fired. The same guy who's like, uh-oh, players are mad at the medical staff in the front office. What would they say if players came out and were like, this is BS, they fired the manager we love playing for? Now, right. would 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 players do that with their name attached to the quotes? I don't know. I would be willing to bet, though, that would be out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe anonymously, maybe by a, a player putting his name on it. That would be out there. I get the sense uh, that, you know, David Bell's contract status was a, a thing, a topic for a while. And I, I would always say, like, if they move on from him at the end of the year, there's going to be some really pissed off players. That should matter. It should matter if you care about a lot of the things that we have talked about this team playing with. Again, the, the vibe, excuse me, the chemistry, the culture, and all that stuff. Uh, if, if that stuff matters to you, then you have to – it either matters to you or it's just something you say when your team is winning. God, these guys have a great culture. If you really believe that matters, you start with the manager. Uh, I, I I believe a manager's role in the success or failure of an individual game is pretty minimal. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, folks who bring out their knives when they see a batting order they don't like, well, you should throw those knives at a lot of people because the batting order is a reflection of what a lot of people want, including the manager. Yeah, I, I think it's... I think it's about a lot of the things that we've talked about this team possessing collectively and how they play. I, I, I don't think you can minimize the role of, of, of David Bell. And so, yeah, I I'll drive that bus. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll back his candidacy to be the manager of the year. Uh, and, and I, I, I hope he wins it because I, I, maybe it will cause some to look at him. Maybe the, the hardware itself will be, uh, will be enough for some to maybe look at him locally here in a different light. I agree. And I think you've got a couple of campaign staffers here with you if you yes. run a campaign. Um, Good deal. Uh, what I wonder about this team, too, is have they played well enough that it's no longer popular to hate them? Because it felt like there for a while, it was popular to be mad at anything that the Reds did. Holy crap, the lines are super long to get into the stadium. Look at how bad this team is being run. Like, that's what it felt like. There was everything that could possibly be complained about. People were trying to complain about, and now it seems like that has dulled a little bit. I I know with the India situation, it's bringing up a lot of folks asking some questions, and I... I'm kind of a little bit conspiracy theorist about it, but are they to that point that they're performing well enough that it's no longer the cool thing in town to be like the Reds? For the most part, yeah. You know, I mean, it's you, you there are still some holdovers who want to see them win something of consequence, right? Uh, and for whom having a fun summer or hanging in the races is not necessarily going to be enough. I, I got to run here in a second. I'll say this about the Jonathan India thing. I kind of just chalked that up to this dude's pissed off. They, they, they trade, they tried to trade him. I mean, like, you know, and they could say, well, we didn't, and maybe they didn't try to trade him, but they certainly were open to the idea and it got reported and he's upset. I would be willing to bet Jonathan India never reads a report about him maybe being traded. He doesn't say Jack about how his injury has been handled. So I kind of chalked that up and 
first of all. I certainly believe almost everybody, uh, with the exception of a handful of players, should at least have been talked about in trade discussions. I also understand if you're a player, that, that can't be fun. So, all right, he's probably a little bit pissed off. And so here was his chance to fire a salvo that I'm betting he doesn't fire if he doesn't read about his name in in a in a story related to the uh, to the trade deadline. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know I I've said on my show a bunch of times this year it's been fun to actually talk about baseball instead of all they care about is bobbleheads. Okay, they have a marketing department, just like your company has different departments. The Reds have a marketing department that has nothing to do with baseball. Oh, well, sell the team. Uh, okay, maybe maybe that would be best, but but it's it's not going to happen. So what about? And so I I feel like I feel like for me the the conversations this year have at least been about baseball, and and sometimes you know I mean again like the trade deadline. I think it was absurd to suggest, well, if the Reds made a trade, they were going to alter their future dramatically. I, I think that's ridiculous. I, I would have liked to have seen the team be a little bit more willing to, to part with something to improve their chances of winning this year. But that's that's a fun baseball conversation. And yes. you could still walk away from it going, God, you know what? The team this year still had a very good season and its future seems really, really bright. So I, I feel like the gratuitous sort of arrows that people have thrown at the Reds that I've thrown at the Reds. They, they have been sort of stashed away. And, and now the focus is on the, the baseball part of it, which for me is I, I actually like the baseball part of baseball more than the non-baseball parts of baseball. I think I agree with that. And, and some of that Mo is, was part of, of Cincinnati being Cincinnati, right? I mean, we've always, we've been conditioned to, to look for, okay, when's it going to fall apart? When's it going to drop off the cliff? It was always going to take something super special to bring everybody around. Same thing with the Bengals. It took that youth movement of Burrow and Chase and, and all of those guys coming in all at the same time together and change the entire narrative, the entire culture. And the Reds seemingly accidentally or, or at least quicker than they thought they were going to found the same thing. And it brought everybody along fast, and I love it. It suddenly people that were never going to forgive Phil and never going to come back and never going to buy another ticket were fighting with me to get a ticket to see Ellie De La Cruz's <laughs> debut when I was in town. So it was great. It, you know, it, it shifted the narrative on a dime, and it was beautiful. Yeah, it was. It was uh, almost overnight, man, and and it was. It was. It was cool. I I, I think. I think what's going to be interesting is to see and sort of gauge what the pressure on the team to win next year is, right? Because, you know, it's 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 not that unlike the Bengals where this, you know, they they make the Super Bowl and they lose and we all shrug our shoulders and, oh, gee, wasn't it cool they made it. And they lose to Kansas City the next year and it was like, well, okay, but they made it that far. This year, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit different. I think next season the expectation is going to be the Reds are playing in October. Uh, and even if you think that's even premature, that's just how it works, right? If they fall short this year, play meaningful ball in September and don't, don't quite get to October next year, it's going to be cool. Now you got to get to October and then it's going to be in very short order, tired of hearing about not advancing in the postseason. You got to do it for the first time in almost three decades. And so the honeymoon is about to end, man. I mean, I, I, I remember 2010. I remember walking out of the ballpark after game three against Philly. And we were all like, you know what? End of the beginning. The next year, 2011, they have a losing record. Uh-uh, man. That's not how it's supposed to work. Lose to the Giants uh, the next year after up 2-0. Uh, 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 hey, this, no, 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 no. We're no longer high-fiving each other because they won more than 90 games. 
it changes quickly. And I remember at the end of 2010 saying like, this was awesome. It's never going to be the same. Not with this bunch. Right. Now the pressure is to do better. Uh, I don't know that this team is as good as that one in 2010, but still this year, let's say they finish 83, 84 wins uh, close, but no cigar. Even if they do eke in and lose in the first round next year, it's going to be the weight of expectation. And I think it's going to be a lot of a very interesting, but also a lot of fun to sort of work our way uh, collectively through that. Really appreciated Mo joining us to celebrate the Reds heading the over there. And uh, before we get out of here, remember you can catch every pitch of the Reds hometown broadcast with Sirius XM on the SXM app. Just search the word Reds. And That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Reds as I stomp on Jeff's tagline. Thanks for making us your first listen. Again, we appreciate Mo being here. Everydayers, don't forget to tune in on our next episode because we're going to have you covered for this series with the Arizona Diamondbacks that has huge, huge, huge playoff implications. We're going to be back with all of the information on the beginning of that series. Uh, until then, Jeff, what can the folks expect from you and me? They can expect us to be locked on Reds every single day.